Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. The West Coco Pharmacy bringing you one of my favorite hours of the week. It's Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live, as Dave Bowman joins us from Silverdale, Washington, to talk one of our founding, the, the most fatherly of our founding fathers, George Washington in focus today. And uh, Dave, good morning. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I don't know that he's the He's kind of the focal point of the general conversation. How's that? Dude, he is the father of our country, so he that makes him the most fatherly of the founding fathers. He's the only president's photograph or picture that hangs on my walls in my office. The only one. Is that right? Absolutely. No others. Really? Don't have any use for any of the rest of them, to be frank with you. Yeah. I, I used a photo of George Washington on uh, on the show page today. I saw so that. Yeah, there Looks we like have it. taken from the dollar bill. Yeah, I, I couldn't find a good one. There were, I mean, everything else was a statue or something that was so far away you you couldn't tell if it was him or Ben Franklin, and that's a pretty easy distinction to make. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not very many people would make that. Yeah, well, if you couldn't tell in the photo, it wasn't the one to use. So there you go. <laughs> so, what are you looking at this week, Dave? I want to look at some ideas here. One of which kind of ties into some of the stuff you were talking about in the last hour. You know, when we when we talk about President Washington or General Washington. We have a an image, a vision of, of George Washington that we have – I don't want to say just simply – it's kind of like a a cultural myth. I mean, this is who General Washington is. I cannot tell a lie. Can't tell I a chop lie, chop down the cherry tree, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cross the Delaware. And we never, ever think to ourselves, how did we get to that point? How did we, how did we come to accept this? Is this really the man that we're that we're really talking about? And when you look at that, you you start to realize that there are a lot of false histories involved in in our lives around us. There are there are many things that we believe, but at the same time, we also empirically know they are not true. Yet we believe them anyway. We believe things okay. like well, like Columbus proved that the world was round. You, you'll hear that on a fairly regular basis. I think I've if he thought that. it was flat, he wasn't going to go. Well, unless it was bigger than 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 he thought. Yeah, I've seen that in in school textbooks. Columbus voyage proved that the world was round. Wow. We 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 believe things like Spain sank the USS Maine. You know. Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Yeah. There are people who believe the myths about Catherine the Great and her demise, which I am not going to go into describing here what they believe. But there are many people who believe that she died doing something that, you know, was disgusting and, and rude. She didn't. She died of, a, of an illness. But most people like the myth. They like the, they like the idea of her being involved in something that she shouldn't have been involved with. We may have to make that an addition to Dave Does History one day yeah. just to dig into the story. Yeah. It involves horses and pulleys. How's that? Uh, um, no, 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 no. Yeah, we're not going there. Things okay. like, you know, December 25th is Jesus' birthday. We we know that this is not true, but 
we accept it. Do you have another date in mind, by the way? Just a quick side note. Not off the top of my A date? No. I, time, I saw yes. a story four or five years ago that that stuck Jesus's birthday as most likely being June 17th, which happens to be my birthday. So I immediately sent a copy of the article to my sister, along with George Jones's song, Me and Jesus Got a Good Thing Going. So right. June, we'll go with June 17th. See, I'm, I'm good with that. I wouldn't buy that date either. But at the same time, we know it is not December 25th, but we Correct. still kind of go. The 300 at Thermopylae, we have this belief, you know, given to us by Hollywood. That it was a good cartoony movie, right? It and was, even but it was actors. also yeah. not true. Or that maybe somebody like George Washington chopped down a cherry tree. Because mm-hmm. we're told that this is true. If we asked ourselves those questions, why do we believe these things? How did this happen? We 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 get uncomfortable with that. Folklore. It just grows, right? In some ways, Bill, but in some ways, some of the things that we believe are, are worse than folklore. They are... Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? They are in, inflicted memory in some ways, in a lot of ways, I think. George Washington. Oh, it, it's a it, it's an intentional retelling of something that wasn't necessarily fact for a reason, and that reason could be as simple as I like the story, but it could also be much more nefarious as really? well. We'll talk Ooh. about that in sixty seconds on WMMB. Today, Dave does history, chopping down the cherry tree of George Washington's reputation. Dave, why do we believe what we believe then? Well, that's the question that I've been asking myself. Why do we believe these things? And, you know, Washington is, hands down, and I've never done a scientific poll of this, but I think Washington probably goes down, if you do a poll, he's probably the most beloved American in history. Now, Lincoln might be He's certainly in the top five, right? Yeah, I, I think he's in the top three for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think in most cases, he probably tops that. And the real question is, was he really that beloved by the people that were actually there, you know, who gave us all these? Are there writings from, from other people of the era that say, you know what, this George Washington guy ain't what he's cracked up to be? Well, we know that James Madison, the, the father of the Constitution and eventual president of the United States, we know that he had a big issue with Washington because of his, quote, unquote, coarse language, unquote. Okay. George Washington liked to talk like a sailor, and James Madison didn't like that. So, so yeah, there are, some, there are some things that we have, but we don't pay any attention to those. And the question that I keep asking is why? The answer is, of course, it comes from what serves – and I'm going to use a phrase here, I don't like it, but what serves the state the best? You know, a few weeks ago we were talking about those four motivations, entertainment, education, uh, analysis, and, of course, celebration. When we think about those four motivations, we we, we kind of see sometimes how some of this stuff came to, to pass. It's interesting to me because... The most frightening thing in the book and the film, 1984, to me, isn't the rats, it isn't the helicopters, it isn't the the constant sweating about Big Brother watching me. It's those four fingers that O'Brien holds up. It's It's that idea that he keeps saying, how many fingers do you see? And Smith, Winston Smith, keeps saying, I see four. And eventually he gets to the point where he says, after he's tortured, 
I don't know how many I see. And then eventually he says five. And O'Brien says to him, it's not enough to say it. You have to believe it. And when it comes to our history, I think that there's more of that mentality. It's not what you say you believe. It's not what you say you see. It's not what you say you think. It's what you believe that we want to control. The state, and I'm using the state in a very broad term here, chooses the history books that are used in schools, right? Mm -hmm. Are they going to choose history books that make the state, the government, the, the myth, whatever it is that they want presented in those four categories, are they going to pick history books that don't meet those four criteria, those four editorial ideas that they want met? Well, absolutely not. You you start looking at this, and, and these books, this class, the, the way this history is being taught, it kind of discourages further in, in investigation by people. Yeah, George Washington was great. George Washington was fantastic. George Washington did great things. He's the greatest American that ever lived. Do you ever question that? Does anybody ever question it? Does anybody ever say to themselves? No, we, 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 started at, I, I, we started school in the first grade. And in that first grade, we heard about George Washington and the cherry tree and the father of our country. And that's where it started. And we continued to believe throughout. And we're taught those things because Parson Weems wanted us to take a moral lesson that lying is bad. We should mm -hmm. always be upright and true. And we should always be this and that. And while I don't disagree with those things, is it reasonable to assume that George Washington was, you know, right up there with Jesus and the way he behaved and beloved by everyone? Is that a reasonable assumption? Well, it's what we're left with, whether it's reasonable or not, because we've been had it ingrained into us. Right. Exactly. Not everybody loves your sheriff, but, you know, it, it, are people willing or, or not everybody hates your sheriff? Right. It seems like there's this mindset that, well, everybody thinks the way I do when it comes to that. And and we know that that's not true. This is what I was talking about earlier with myths. We empirically know that these things are not true, yet we choose to believe them, which is kind of what leads to history dying as an educational discipline. Or is it being killed off? Is it a victim of identity politics? Does it even matter? Those are the questions that you find yourself asking. Did anybody really not like George Washington? I'm thinking there had to be a few. He had to have rivals. He had to have those who would say, no, no, no. And matter of fact, in your podcast at thedaybowmanshow.com, you've been talking about the Federalists, the Anti-Federalists, and those conversations. And I would urge you, if you've not started that, go back and find them and get them going because it's really a great discussion and helps us look at our history a little bit, as we do every Tuesday here with Dave Bowman. And that continues in moments on 92.7 FM WMMB. Stay with us. Hi, this is Justine, bringing you late night talk for those that go to bed early. Listen to my podcast, What's Justine Thinking, every Wednesday and Friday on Anchor and Spotify. Dave Does History, our weekly journey through the Wayback Machine. Dave Bowman is with us on Bill Mick Live. The hour brought to you by the West Cocoa Pharmacy, your access 321-768-1240. We'll get to those calls in our final segment of the day if you want in here. Speaking of uh, 
podcast and the like. Dave's is uh, thedavebowmanshow.com. There are links on the show page today at billmick.com. Headline for that page is football pronouns and politics. So you can find links to Dave's podcast there. And he's done, he's done a great job digging into history on a regular basis. We're just fortunate to get him for an hour a week here on Bill Mick Live. Uh, our candidate podcasts are in the hours where they've been interviewed. You'll be able to catch up with those in the podcast section at BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel as well. Two candidate interviews yesterday, one tomorrow, one Friday, and maybe another the following week, depending on uh, Renee Torpy's availability. So, Dave, we're we're believing what we're told about history. The motives, therefore, may be good, but they're not necessarily truthful in what we believe. What are we? Where are we going from here? They might be true, or they might be good motivations. But then again, Bill, what if they're not? Uh huh. And that's where I go back to those four fingers of, of O'Brien. It's it's not enough to say you believe you see something. You have to believe it. And when the government can control what you believe and why you believe it, I get a little a little nervous. And and Washington is a great example of this. In 1787. Around this time, the first couple weeks of October in 1787, the Anti-Federalists were really firing up their letter-writing campaign, letters to the editor, you know, letters to the newspapers. The talk radio of the day. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. there appeared in the New York papers a letter signed by the the pen name Cato, C-A-T-O, which is a name that to us today is, you know, we might have heard of the Cato Institute, but we don't really know what it is. Um, the sidekick of the Green Hornet, played by Bruce Lee. Isn't that K-A-T-O? Probably. Yeah. At any rate, <laughs> Cato, in 1787, to the average American, to the typical American of 1787, 1788, Cato was, and I don't say this lightly, he was the definition of what the word liberty actually meant. He was the living embodiment of the word liberty. Cato. Yeah, you define that very well in one of your most recent podcasts. Absolutely. Cato was the implacable, absolute, to the death enemy of Julius Caesar in Roman history. He was the, he is referred to as the last citizen. He was in the, in the dying days of the Roman Republic. He was the last man standing in the way of Julius Caesar from becoming a tyrant. And he was the of, by, and for the people guy. Yeah, well, see, that's even that isn't completely accurate, but he was definitely for the republic and not for the tyranny. Americans loved Cato. There was a play that was created in 1713 that George Washington put on during Valley Forge to motivate the men. It's called Cato the Tragedy. The the phrase, um, give me liberty or give me death, that Patrick Henry shouts, is from that play. It is the words of Cato. We were well familiar with this. So when this letter appears and it's signed by Cato, Americans of that era would have read that and gone, we should pay attention to this because this is a guy who has what we want at heart, right? And essentially the letter was, don't rush into a decision and this presidency thing is way, way, way too powerful. We need to be careful. Pretty. Hmm? Oh, now Dave is back. I'm back. Give, yes, give me a second, Dave. Uh, West Cocoa Pharmacy online at cocopharmacy.com, 321-305-6909. Their cost plus pricing model saving you money. 
being able to work with your doctor to bring you the most cost-effective treatment that is possible. That will also save you money. And uh, price breaks from their providers means Sedonafil, the generic for Viagra, simply a penny a milligram. Call the West Cocoa Pharmacy and learn more, 321-305-6909. All right, Dave, where were we, buddy? So I'm not sure where I dropped out, but the letter from Cato is... Uh, we were determining whether he was republic or, or of by and for the people was the last thing I said. And you were saying he was certainly a guy for the republic. He was not certainly for, for the republic, not for, right. not for the tyranny, the dictatorship, the tyranny of, of Julius Caesar. So when this letter from okay. Cato appears, this letter is something that would attract attention of Americans. They would read this with great interest. Now, the first letter from Cato can be generally described as being advice. Don't rush to approve this Constitution. Take your time and consider it. Just because you have to do something doesn't mean you have to do this. So take your time. And, by the way, this presidency thing that they are proposing is way too powerful. And since we all know who the president's going to be, we need to really think about this because what if this guy isn't the leader that we think he is, right? Well, who are they talking mm-hmm. about? George, George Washington, Washington, period. Yeah. Bingo. The letter is responded to by another letter, fires back at Cato, and it is signed by the pen name Caesar, which mm-hmm. Americans would have gone, what? Because Caesar and Cato hate each other. They wanted, and in fact, eventually, one of them did cause the other one to be killed. Okay? Right. So when a letter fires back, Caesar says, hey— pay attention to what I have to say. This is the kind of thing that to us, we read it today and we just go, our eyes glaze over because we don't understand any of it. But in that era, this was the equivalent of, this was was way worse than political mudslinging. This is political name calling. This is people saying really nasty things about each other in print. You're saying a a friend might have planted such a sign in another's yard as a joke. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah, we've been there. As a joke, as a a threat more than a joke. Yeah, I got you. And Caesar's letter contains a threat. Caesar's letter is, and I'm paraphrasing here, Cato, you would be wise to vote for the American Fabius because if you don't, we'll put him in charge of an army again, and then we'll see what happens. Oh, and Cato responds in his next letter, did you guys see what he just threatened to do? I keep telling you the presidency is too dangerous. He's telling us that the American Fabius is going to take the head of an army and inflict this constitution upon us if we don't agree to it as is. Well, who's Fabius? And of course, we know that the American Fabius is Washington, but Fabius himself was a Roman dictator back 200 years before Cato and Caesar, who defeated Hannibal, and then decided that he liked being dictator. Now, a dictator has a different meaning in Rome than it does to us. What we call a dictator, Rome would have called a tyrant, tyrant, sorry, which is why we call King George III a tyrant. Okay. And it all goes back to the colonial Americans' perception of Roman history and their understanding of it that we don't have today. Bingo. So okay. when you see this, this American Fabius, in, his, in essence, what Cato is saying is this guy is going to set himself up not as president, which is already too powerful. He's going to set himself up as the dictator and the tyrant. 
Nobody said that about George Washington. Nobody ever thought that about George Washington, did they? Not that we know of. But here's two letters saying, <laughs> if you don't do what we want you to do with this vis-a-vis the Constitution, none other than George Washington, the American Fabius, is going to go to the head of an army and inflict it upon you. And it was taken seriously as a threat. Because people in that era, even then, knew that this was something really new. This presidency was very powerful. And the distinct possibility exists. What if, what if George Washington is more Fabius than Cincinnatus? What if he's more inclined to keep power than to give it up? And we all assume that he wasn't. But in 1787, that was not quite as clear as it is today. How strong were the concerns over a presidency here, Dave? Enough that the anti-federalists were dead set against this idea. They thought it was way too powerful. They thought George Washington was the kind of man who might put the crown on his own head. And they believed that. We don't believe that. And we'll learn more as we continue on Bill Mick Live. Don't forget, $1,000 inflation bonus check up for grabs later today. Hey there, submarine fans. Let me talk to you about the most exciting thing in currency, the goldback from goldback.com. Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution says that states are actually legal to create currency as long as they are made of gold and silver. And now there are states doing just that. They've made moves to protect their local economies for a possible future failure of the federal paper U.S. dollar or the entire credit system by legalizing and making their own currency using, you got it, gold and silver. The exciting news is the subvet.com is now an authorized dealer to purchase your gold backs right on our website. Be sure to email me at eric at the subvet.com or you can call me at 720-277-9333. Be sure to check out the gold backs on the subvet.com and then get ready to secure your family and future with the power of fractional gold currency. Get your gold back from the subvet. Every rocket launch from the Space Coast or around the globe, the Space Launch Coverage Page is on demand at WMMBAM.com, powered by SpaceLaunchSchedule.com. That website also where you'll enter the keyword when you hear it between 9 and 5 in our $1,000 inflation bonus contest for you. 1000 bucks come in handy. Dan Newland making it possible here on WMMB. The West Cocoa Pharmacy bringing you this hour of Dave Does History on Bill McLive. So the colonials were not happy with the idea of a president, Dave, uh, or at least not the way the Constitution was structuring it. At least some of them weren't, yet they were threatened with military force if they didn't buy in. It's the anti-federalists who, who, you know, again, the more you understand about anti-federalism, as I've, my, my working theory is that the anti-federalists of 1787 are the libertarian party of today. I was just going to say that. it's a, So they could never be satisfied no matter what anyway. No, 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 no. no. I, I don't want to go that far. I, I would call them the ideological That's for our buddy Rod. Right. <laughs> the ideological grandparents of it. Um, the anti-federalists really did not like the idea of, an, of a strong national central government. They felt like, as we've talked about, 
that was indicative of the problems that would come with a tyranny, which is, of course, what they what they most feared. It's why we called George III a tyrant, even though throughout most of history, George III is considered to be a, a really good king, if not a great king. We call him a tyrant because he did things that tyrants did, particularly with a Roman understanding of things. Um, this idea that Washington, as president, as a, the American Fabius, could have seized power for himself was not an unrealistic threat in that era. In fact, as president... It was popular enough to carry it off, really, right? Would anybody have really minded if he had? If, oh, if, there would have been some, sure. Sure, the anti-federalists would have been furious. Yeah. But would most of America have been okay with it? Yeah, I think maybe they would have been. Yeah, um, yeah. In, in, in late in his presidency... George Washington, there was a a small rebellion called the Whiskey Rebellion. I'm not going to go into the details of it. But Washington himself, as president, rode out at the head of the army to squash the Whiskey Rebellion. And no doubt the writer of Cato was watching this going, see, I told you so. No doubt. No doubt. It leads to the question, was Cato— Had to do with with taxes, right, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, it did. Taxes on whiskey. So— the the first action of the American government against the people that involved military type stuff had to do with taxes. That should tell us something right there. If, if you talk about it under the Constitution, yes. But, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting because George Washington was a whiskey distiller himself. And was it really about the taxes or was it about the competition? I don't know. You know, it's worth the question. Mm-hmm. It does raise the the specter of the four-fingered question, though which is how many fingers do you see? We're telling you to see five, and it's not enough to say it. You have to believe it. We believe certain things about Washington. We believe certain things about the presidency in general. But was Cato correct? Is the presidency too powerful? And while George Washington proved to be more Cincinnatius than Fabius, that is, Cincinnati was the great Roman who who was the dictator, led the army, and then went back to his fields— Washington proved more to be him than the the Fabius guy who tried to set himself up, or at least was perceived as trying to set himself up as king. Mm-hmm. Is that true of the other forty four men? Can you say that the other forty four presidents were more Cincinnatus than Fabius? I mean, it, it, the presidency certainly is, not all of them. No, and when you're talking and about, and the closer it gets to today, the less likely that is to have occurred. Well, what's in the news today? We got states suing the presidency because he, quote, overstepped his authority, unquote. Mm-hmm. So you start to wonder, was Cato right? But then, but then you start looking back at this going, well, why do we believe the things that we believe? Is it because we've been told that history plus history equals five and you better you better believe it or else? And when that starts to bleed over into everything else that we're doing, you know, your professor from last hour. Sure, everybody likes him now because he's, you know, he's Bill Mowering the left, and we love that. But what, where are we going to be in a year when he's backing away from that or apologizing or seeing the light and realizing that he's offended people and he's sorry for that? We or, call that pulling a Troy Aikman this right. week. Well, yeah, there you go. Or <laughs> what if he just goes away, disappears, and we never hear about him again, which has happened in history. I mean, these are things that we— that concern me when we start looking at this this idea that we believe certain things that we know empirically not true, 
but we accept them because it serves, and I don't like the phrase, it serves the state. It serves the society as a whole in the sense of maintaining a standard set of beliefs that we accept without question. And primarily because, Bill, we don't understand the past. We don't have the understanding that the people who wrote these things, who put these things together, did. And I wonder often, if we did understand those things, would it change how we do and view things today? That's a great question. I want to explore it some more as we continue in just a moment. Oh, Galley Electric is one of our sponsors here on Bill McLive. We are now better than uh, halfway through the month, which means we've got less than a month and a half of hurricane season left because that's Dave's favorite time of the year in Florida. Well, what do you do to get ready for the storm? You prepare in advance and you get that Generac home standby generator that they have in stock at O'Galley Electric, pre-pandemic pricing on this stuff, so no supply line issues, and a free 10-year warranty. Call O'Galley Electric today, 321-425-3343. They have a turnkey operation for you. They take care of all the permitting. They get everything set, so when they tell you it's good to go, you're ready for the next storm with a Generac home standby generator. You can also reach out to O'Galley Electric online at eg-electric.com. Beat the storm with a Generac home standby generator from O'Galley Electric. 321-768-1240 if you want in as we wrap up this day's edition of Dave Does History. So, Dave, as you look back on this, and I know you're digging into the the Anti-Federalist and sharing that on your podcast. And, again, I'll urge everybody to go there and give that a listen at your first opportunity. Let's answer the question you asked. Is the presidency really too powerful today? I had Congressman Bill Posey on yesterday as one of our candidate interviews. And the best he can hope for, if there's a Republican majority, is to put this administration in check for two years until we can change the presidency. Yeah, and yet how much of it is a moot point? I mean, let's take an example here, Bill, this this Student Debt Forgiveness Act, right? And these, these Republicans are suing, saying he's exceeding his authority. Is he? The Republican Congress passed a bill saying that in time of war or national emergency, the president has the authority to forgive student debt. In which case, he's just doing what they authorized. Bingo. So if we give him exercising the priorities that his election allows him to do as the chief administrator of the government. Right. And if we continue to give him power, which is what Congress, despite its supposed role as a check and balance on the presidency. Yeah. If it continues to give him power, executive authority, how many executive departments do we have? All of which, almost all of which fall unconstitutionally under the, uh, under the legislative branch, but they've delegated that to the executive saying, they've ceded their authority is what they've done. And they've checked it off by passing a law that says, if they make a rule, it has the effect of law and you've got more rules than you have laws in place. And you have less and less accountability in Congress mm-hmm. and a presidency that more and more becomes too powerful, in my opinion. And certainly I think that Cato, the anti-federalist, would have agreed that the presidency, this is exactly what we were afraid of, the president with his pen and phone dictating what will and will not be. Mm-hmm. And Congress and the courts, to a lesser degree, seem unwilling to to rein that in because Ultimately, what do the people seem to want? The people seem to want a Fabius more than they seem to want a president. And mm-hmm. But this is typical of, of polling. Cuba. We talked about yesterday on the show, Dave, 
that Americans, more than we'd like to think, want government to take care of them rather than stay out of their lives. How many of you have had this conversation with somebody that you know? A conservative person who has said, you know what we really need is a really strong central leader. One one person who can really get things done, mm-hmm. which is what the Romans would have defined as a dictator. That's what they right. would have called that. But the danger of a dictator is that a dictator then, much like Fabius did, could put the crown on their own head and become the king, the tyrant, which is what Cato was afraid of happening with, with George Washington. It didn't happen with Washington, but let's face it, we've had other presidents who have put themselves above the law, above the Constitution, above the ideas, and don't care about those things. Is it ignorance? They don't understand. And from both sides of the political aisle, we might point out. Yeah. Is it is it ignorance? They don't understand the past, and they don't care. They don't respect it. Or is it just human nature to seek power and to force people to believe what you want them to believe? It's maybe not so much they don't understand the past, is that they do understand the present, and they employ it very strongly. Well, there's that. I mean, <laughs> history is replete with people who who did that and who you know tried to change the system to protect them their own power. So... And mm-hmm. the Romans would have been very familiar with that, as would the early Americans have been very familiar with that. So it, it bothers me when I see what's happening. It bothers me when I read this. The, the deeper I get into anti-federalism, the more depressed I become because I realize the, the anti-federalists weren't right in the strictest of senses, but they weren't wrong either. And the thing that's that why they, I love listening to you and what you put together on it. Dave, let's get a quick phone call in while we can. Line one, you're up on Bill McLive. Good morning. Now you're there. Good morning. Line one, you're on Bill McLive. Uh, hi there. Hi, Mario. Uh, every single conservative I have ever met, you know, and, and I'm 73 years old and I've been meeting conservatives for at least 50, 60 years, has believed that what we need to do is return to constitutional principles not create a dictator. So I don't know where that statement is coming from. Dave, you got an explanation as, as to where? Yeah, I can name them. I'm not going to because they wouldn't be fair, but I can tell you that it's my wife. Uh-huh. Okay, I understand that. So, yeah, it's out there in some corners. Uh, matter of fact, Dave, I remember that conversation now that you bring it up. Mario, it's out there. And, yes, we claim to want that, but polling suggesting that we really don't. Line two, you're next on Bill McLive. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. You're talking about 1984. I happen to have that book sitting next to me. I'm reading it. But Imprimus, Larry Arn of Hillsdale had an article in his December 2020, and here's a cut out of there. Totalitarianism will never win in the end, but it can win long enough to destroy a civilization. We can see it in the rise and imposition of double thinking. We can see it in the increasing attempt to rewrite our history. How about that? Interesting thought, Claire. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing. Line one, you're up with Bill and Dave. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. Hey, tell me what you think real quick before we're out of time. Okay, this is Ed in Melbourne. Yeah, Ed. Dave Dave Bowman, we appreciate you a a, a lot. You do a great job, and uh, we appreciate you being on. And thank you, too, Bill. Okay? Ed, thank you. Appreciate those kind words. Dave, I told you, I'm enjoying this, and it sounds like everybody else is, too. Uh, And thank you for what you do with it. I appreciate it. I uh, I disagree. I think totalitarianism, I think the inevitability of history is that it will win as long as we are not vigilant. We can delay it. We can continue to hold it off. 
but it will keep coming back because evil never rests. It continues to come at you. And so I seem to have heard that recently as well. As soon as you let your guard down, you get a Sulla, you get a Fabius, you get a Caesar. And Dave, then, as we were t- talking pre-show, it's no matter the technology, no matter the advancements in, in anything, science, math, whatever, uh, all of this stuff changes around us. But human nature doesn't change. And we get these people who want to take advantage and want to have that power. And like you said, if we're not vigilant, we're going to eat that at some point. Dave's third law. People don't change. I like what you're where you're coming from. Dave Bowman, the DaveBowmanShow.com is where you catch up with him. The West Cocoa Pharmacy made the hour possible. Candidate interviews tomorrow during our wide open Wednesday. If one of them decides to show up, the other one will. And then uh, look forward to it. Dave Bowman, thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. See you next week. All right, sounds good. And we'll see you in the morning at 6, Wide Open Wednesday.